The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Biz Buzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in industry and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Hello, and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzz, fraud. Ooh, a bad five-letter word. Hey, in criminal law, a fraud is an intentional deception made for personal gain of money or valuables or to damage an individual. Today, we all know the world is full of bad guys and bad gals who make their living coming up with clever schemes, or so they think. You've heard of phishing, credit card, mag stripe swiping, corruption, billing-related fraud. Why? They want to steal your money, your identity. They want to cheat businesses and ultimately cheating us, the consumer. Is fraud internal or external? Either way, the costs to all of us are huge. I pose this question. With all of our sophisticated technology, surely we're smarter than they are. Or are we? I have a panel packed with experts who are going to give you their POV right up front. I've asked them to give me some quotes to lead off the conversation, and let's find out who's on the line today. The experts speak. First up, Prakash Santana, Director, Deloitte Financial Advisory Services, LLP. He leads the fraud management practice for payments, banking, and securities. And his quote is, all I want for Christmas, a cyber criminal's wish list. Yes, even the naughty ones have a wish list. Prakash, welcome. How are you? And let's talk about your quote. Good morning, Bonnie. Thank you for having me on this show. Mm -hmm. How are you doing? Well, so we just finished our Christmas season. So what was on the cyber criminals wish list this time? Yes, everybody has a wish list and the cyber criminals do as well. So what are they looking for? Uh, As you probably saw in the news, there have been a lot of news, news articles about the latest data breaches. So let's run through the wish list. First of all, mm-hmm. cyber criminals want uh, people to shop online a lot, and then they want to visit merchant sites that are not adequately protected. Um, cyber criminals know uh, which merchant site, which merchants are strong, and which merchants have less security, so they want more people to visit those sites. Also, they want to go to blogs and referral sites because that's where they could um, look for vulnerable customers. Um, Asking them, uh, showing them that they could get a potential uh, discount coupon code that they could use at a Best Buy or some pl- uh, some other retailer. Uh, so once once they visit the blog site or referral site, they could download malware onto these un- uh, consumers' uh, laptops. Um, mm. and then they want to they want they send out promotional pop-ups or SMS messages, hoping for consumers to click on them. And then they also visit chat forums and social media sites, hoping to lure customers. Um, uh, and then lastly, 
e-cards. E-cards are also another dangerous um, method that hackers and cyber criminals use to download malware onto um, consumers' laptops, and of course, apps and online games as well. So that's on the wish list for uh, cyber criminals. We can talk more uh, during the show. Thank you very much, Prakash. It sounds like they are everywhere that we're being told we want to be. We need to be social. You need to have a presence. You need to have a persona. You need to participate. So you're saying every place we're going, and of course in the spirit of holiday shopping and not wanting to go to the crowded malls, we are doing more and more online purchasing. Very interesting. We will delve more into that. Thanks for great opening, Prakash. Let's now turn to your fellow panelist, Mike Kosinog, Detroit-based partner in Deloitte's audit and enterprise risk services practice and mike sent me this quote how to counter frauds fakes and scams by being secure being vigilant being resilient welcome mike kosinok how are you and let's talk about your method to not being in the madness talk to me hi how you doing bonnie thank you hi well thanks for joining me go ahead and thank you for being part of the panel thank you for letting me be part of the panel so really, very simply, whether an individual or a large or, or, or organization, you know, fraud is a reality going forward. And, you know, the, the need is to really to be secure, to be vigilant, and to be resilient. Recent cyber attacks, I think, really highlight the urgency for individuals and, and, and organizations to really contend with, you know, the ever-increasing risk to customer protection, continuity, operations, et cetera. What we're finding, more, more so from a security perspective, is the attacks that are, really, that are getting exploited are really in the traditional controls, and some are very destructive. We're seeing that traditional controls around point-of-sale systems and other IT systems are necessary but may, no, but may no longer be adequate. And really the greater emphasis should be placed on preventative controls, rapid detection, mm-hmm. and rapid response. So, and hence, really, the focus should be on security, vigilance, and resiliency. Mike, are we winning? Are the good guys winning yet, or is it an uphill battle? What's your overall top-down view for, for our listeners for the start of the show? It is, uh, it is an uphill battle. I mean, perfect security is almost impossible. That's, that is today's reality. The focus is to be secure, but also to spend the time to be vigilant. You can't. It's just not one and done. You, you really need to you know, monitor and be vigilant against this. And also have plans to be resilient. So how do you address it? You know, if you're attacked or, you know, if you have your you know, credit card, you know, uh, mm-hmm. compromised, how do you really, you know, tr- you know, really address that going forward? So security, vigilance, and resiliency are all key to the, uh, you know, key to the ongoing effort. And I think as we learned with Tarjay over the holiday, which still keeps bouncing back in our faces mm-hmm. every day in the news, I think we learned that just being resilient includes having great damage control, having a good PR department, a good press person who can try to use the language properly and, and cleverly to say, well, we're doing something about it. Feel better, feel secure. Uh-uh, not yet. So we've got a lot to talk to you about, Mike Kosanog. Thank you so much. Let's turn to your fellow panelist, Vincent Walden, a, a frequent guest on SAP Radio on our various theme shows. He's a partner with Ernst & Young's Fraud Investigative and Dispute Services Practice. And the quote Vincent sent me is, today's fraud schemes are not about cooking the books. It's about greasing the payments. Ooh, that sounds so sinister. Welcome back, Vince Walden. How are you today? Good, Bonnie. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Pleasure. Um, yeah, that, that comment's interesting. I know, well, you know, the topic of cyber fraud is, is very hot as we think about external fraud, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be commenting, kind of taking a look at internal occupational fraud. And if you look at the fraud schemes going on these days, 
you know, back in the pre-Enron days, et cetera, it was all about cooking the books and the revenue recognition and the off-balance sheet items, et cetera. But really today, um, if you look at regulatory enforcement uh, for companies when they look at their global risk landscape around fraud, really global corruption uh, under the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, UK Bribery Act, et cetera, uh, is really a high-risk area that requires new tools, new monitoring capabilities, and just a new way of thinking beyond the traditional kind of accounting-type tests. Okay, lot to talk to you about, Vince Walden. Thank you so much. And let's turn to our fourth panelist, joining Prakash, Mike, and Vincent on the panel is Michael Lortz at SAP. Michael leads SAP's Global Governance, Risk, and Compliance product marketing team. He has three words. It's a question. Here's all Michael wants to start with. Are you ready? Michael Lortz, I'm ready. Talk to me and welcome to the show. How are you today? I am doing great. Thanks so much for including me on uh, this, this great panel here this morning. Um, you know, I think it's interesting to start with this question and, and pose that to, to each of our listeners here today. Um, it's important, as has already been recognized here this morning, to, to understand the, the fraud you're subjected to. It, it certainly happens every day. Um, and it's not these days, will I be subjected to fraud, or, or it's, it's what has already happened or when will it happen. And because of that, you've got to be ready. I think that, that Mike has already touched on the need for, for preparations, and I just want to reiterate that and ask our viewers or, or listeners, what, what are they doing now and, and what exactly will they do when it happens? You touched on the need for a, a well-formulated PR plan, um, mm-hmm. and that's certainly important. But I also want to point out um, that you can't be oblivious to or downplay the threat. And I think that's especially important when we're thinking about the type of fraud that Vince was just talking about, internal fraud. Um, Mm -hmm. I've worked with a number of companies, especially, um, I'm going to say, mid-sized companies, private companies um, that downplay that threat and don't recognize it. Maybe it's because they think they're too close or they're close enough to the insiders that could be involved in fraud. Can't forget about that. Okay, Michael, I have a question for you. I'll post to the rest of the panel later before we move on to our next segment. But my question is, does anybody grow up today saying, hey, I love technology. I love money. Let me become a cyber fraudster. I want to be a cyber criminal. I want to make my family proud. <laughs> is, is that something that's an aspiration of people? or How, how do people get into this? Just quickly, Michael Lortz, what's your POV on that? Well, I don't think that anybody does it necessarily to be proud, but if there's money out there and there's an opportunity, there's certainly sinister individuals that are going to take advantage of um, the opportunity. They're going to take advantage of the of, take advantage of the weaknesses that exist. And uh, you know, I think it's a small percentage, but they look to to gain incredible sums of money. There you go. Incredible sums of money. So it pays off for the bad guys. I have a quick question for my entire panel. First of all, we're going to go in the original order, Prakash, Mike, Vincent, and Michael. I'm going to ask you where you're calling from. What's your weather? Because I know what's going on here on the East Coast. You don't want to be outside my window. And I'm going to ask you, what's in your cup today? You're drinking something warm and cozy or, or what's your favorite cup that you wish you were drinking? Prakash, where are you? The weather report and what's in your cup? Okay. For the weather report, I'm in Colts Neck, New Jersey. And it's over two inches of snow already here, and we are expecting about 15 inches by the end of the <gasps> end of the storm. Uh, so it's pretty bad. 
Uh, in terms of what's in my cup today, uh, I've been drinking the same cup I had on the show last time I was there, <laughs> if you remember. Okay. <laughs> no, it's freshly brewed. It's not the same coffee. <laughs> I hope not. And it must be loaded with caffeine because you sound very bright and ready to talk, yes? Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Prakash. Mike Kosanag, where are you? The weather report and what's in your cup? I am actually in sunny Las Vegas right now, and it's uh, 48 degrees, so beautiful weather. I am from Detroit, and, uh, you know, my wife and kids definitely are suffering through three-degree weather, so I'm enjoying uh, the time out here. And in my cup right now is black coffee to go. Uh, serious and focused. believe when the going gets tough, the tough get cardboard sleeves because the cups are too hot. <laughs> First time we've had an applaud for cardboard sleeves on the show. Thank you, yeah. Mike. Vincent Walden, where are you? What's going on outside your window and what's in the cup? Yeah, that's great. I'm I'm snowed in here in New Canaan, Connecticut. So what's in my cup is uh, snow, actually. My kids come home <laughs> early from school because it's a snow day. And I got some cups outside, and we're going to be making some snow cones this afternoon. I love it. That's the first for snow cones on SAP Radio. Thank you, Vincent. Are you going to put any syrup in them? Come on, you need a little flavor. What, what yeah. flavor? What's your favorite? Yeah, cherry, of course. Okay. <laughs> True Blue All-American. Cherry snow cones. I love it, or wherever they come from. Michael Lortz, where are you? What's the weather, and what are you drinking? Well, I'm in Atlanta today working from uh, the home office. It's 52 degrees here, um, so, so not as bad as, as my fellow panelists. No, no uh, snow cones or, or ice on the ground today, but uh, it, it's quite blustery and the leaves are blowing around. Um, in my cup today, I'm, I'm really at the transitional point in, in my day here where I'm switching over from stash Earl Grey tea um, and being in Atlanta, I have to uh, finish my, my caffeine day off with a uh, Coca-Cola product. Okay. You want to tell us which one? Well, I think it will be a Coke Zero today. Okay. All right. And the temperature might be zero. Well, I'm here on the north shore of Long Island, New York. It's snowing lightly, but in the first 20 minutes of snow, it was covered about an inch and a half on the roads. And my little two-seater, little sports car said, take me home, Mommy. Put me in the garage. I'm not going out again as we skidded down Middle Neck Road, those of you who know where I am. And I'm seeing people walking outside with umbrellas and boots and scarves. And I'm just drinking water because, as my panelists who've been on the show before know, they don't let Bonnie have caffeine on on show days. What can I say? Guess what? We're going to take our first break. You're listening to Biz Buzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. We are live. Today is Tuesday, January 21st, 2014. Our topic today, in case you didn't figure it out, fakes, frauds, and scams are the bad guys and girls getting smarter. Who's going to win this one? I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. We'll be right back after the break with a 30-minute roundtable. My guests today are Prakash Santana from Deloitte, Mike Kosanag also at Deloitte, Vincent Walden at ENY, Ernst & Young, and Michael Lortz at SAP. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. You don't want to miss this conversation. Brad out. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Business models have a short shelf life. Today's reality. 
Given shifting technologies, real-time information, and collaboration across time zones, competitive advantage increasingly resides in speed to market and in the cloud. The bottom line? Technology cycles will continue to shorten, making business planning cycles less realistic and strategies less tenable. You need to become a savvy innovator who looks ahead to the next technology trend and its applications to tomorrow's business and industry strategy. BizBuzz with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Biz Buzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Biz Buzz with Game Changers. Welcome back. I'm speaking today with Prakash Santana from Deloitte, Mike Kosanag, also Deloitte, Vincent Walden, Ernst & Young, E&Y, and Michael Lortz, SAP. We're talking about fakes, frauds, and scams. Are the bad guys getting smarter? Who's winning? I don't know if we're going to have a real answer by the end of the show, but we will try. I want to touch upon a little more about the fraud spikes during the holiday season because it's still January, so we can still talk about holidays. Prakash Santana, you brought this one up in the opening. Why don't you give us a little more meat on the bones on this, and then I'm going to ask the rest of the panel to give us their two cents or $2 million or whatever their POV is worth today, and then we'll move on with the topic. Prakash, go ahead. Yep. Uh, thanks, Bonnie. So um, holiday season is usually the time fraudsters try to come up with various schemes to target consumers. Uh, what we heard in the news was about uh, compromise of credit cards and debit cards at various retail stores. However, there were many other schemes that went on simultaneously, both online and offline and at other stores. So if you look at the, let's start with the first one, the data breach that happened at various retail stores. Uh, mm-hmm. This was a clever breach. Usually uh, the way it happens is fraudsters want to uh, compromise or capture the magnetic strike in, in Stripe information on the back of the credit cards and debit cards and capture PIN numbers so, so that they could reproduce the cards and sell it online. As you, they, they capture what's called track data, the magnetic data that's sitting on the Stripe on the back of the mm-hmm. card. Uh, then they can actually publish that information online and sell it to somebody in a far-off land. Um, so norm, this time it happened that even though many of these retailers have taken adequate uh, security safeguards and they have to comply with um, network mandates in terms of uh, encrypting credit card information. What they did was uh, the, the cyber criminals were able to uh, introduce malware at the point of sale. Uh, every time you swipe your card at a terminal, it actually captures the magnetic information and stores it in, a, in cache, in memory, for a short period of time. Uh, and then um, it's encrypted and then obviously sent to the network for processing. What these cyber criminals did was able to tap into that uh, memory that's sitting on the terminal, and they were able to um, sw- um, compromise about 40 million accounts. Uh, interestingly, mm. there was another scheme that went on simultaneously in the online world, for example. Uh, there are some major online retailers um, where people usually shop during the holiday season, and right around the 23rd or the 24th, 
a lot of people started getting emails uh, saying, here's your invoice for the purchases you made at the store. So uh, obviously, if they send, let's say, a million emails, at least 10% of them are definitely would have definitely purchased something and are expecting the packages to be delivered. So they happily went about clicking these uh, the links to the invoice, and those were that was uh, primarily malware, downloading it onto um, consumers' uh, laptops and devices. So uh, holiday season. Uh, is usually the time, and there are many, many schemes uh, come uh, for fraudsters to try out, and uh, the uh, and they want to attack vulnerable segments of the market and be able to uh, um, get as as much information as possible. Thanks, Prakash. So it sounds like it's a numbers game, and we used to call it a crapshoot. You throw enough cards up, and maybe the right one will fall down the stairs. And if you hit millions and millions, we know there's a small percent who will just naturally open it out of curiosity or because they think they're expecting something. Anybody else want to comment on holiday fraud? Mike from Deloitte, Michael, SAP, Vincent for me and why? Yeah, I'd love to hear somebody else's take. Go ahead. This is Michael Snog. I mean, just really mm-hmm. following up on some of the re- recent retail attacks and <clears throat> coming out of our security practice, we um, – we, we definitely understand this was definitely a recent evolution in, in the attacks mm. of these systems, right? Uh, one mm-hmm. of the things, a couple of things we learned is this was code that wasn't tampered with the, uh, with the point-of-sale system. So well, how this actually got in was potentially back through the corporate network. So this, this, got, this got in through the back doors of the corporate network and into the point-of-sale systems, just, just like Prakash talked about. This was, this was uh, done to capture credit card data prior to encryption and it was through you know through an injection of, of, of malicious code but really it came you know, not through tampering the point of sale system which we had seen in the past but more so in coming through the corporate network potentially with the phishing email so you know what what this really points out to is the threats are ever evolving and you know the uh, and the need to continuously monitor and you know and, and manage your threat position is very important and, and just continue looking for those um, you know, cyber threats that, that emerge because the, the, uh, the bad guys are truly, you know, uh, innovating, you know, daily on, on, on how to get into, uh, you know, different network systems, et cetera. So, I mean. And, and Mike, I'm going to add two, two personality words here. They have chutzpah and they've got nerve. And I won't use the do. B word of what they have because yep. they're really saying, hey, we think we have a way to get around. We know that companies have fraud protection. We know there are a lot of prevention software out there. Oh, the heck with it. We'll figure out a way to make the human side of the computer or the human side of who's in the companies. Yep. We're going to tempt them, tease them lure them we're going to get around that stupid software who needs that so it sounds like they're going for the human jugular if you will uh vince walden i want to move a little bit to something you told me before the show you say the bar is raised detecting today's frauds and scams requires big data thinking and uh, we've covered big data many times on our game changer shows in the three v's the volumes the velocities and the varieties of data talk to us about how big data thinking comes into this protection vince yeah, thanks, Bonnie. You know, what's interesting mm-hmm. is whether it's cyber fraud, which actually that's not my exp- area of expertise, but that is a, a very hot topic, and I know we have folks at Ernst & Young that are also kind of deploying solutions around it. Regardless of the fraud scheme, uh, the monitoring, you got to go beyond the policies and the the you know the rules and the policies and procedures and you got to get into the testing and whether it's cyber fraud or corruption internal corporate fraud etc when you're looking at transactional or payment type data in a corruption context 
the data sets get quite large. And I think from the regulator's perspective, the expectation now is that you are taking active steps. You are, you know, management, whether it's compliance or internal audit or legal, they are getting their hands dirty proactively and thinking about new ways to monitor. And, again, that's where big data can often play in a, a key role where we're dealing with, you know, so we need systems that can handle the larger data sets, can handle both structured and unstructured type data, whether, whether it's communications data or text data combined with payments data, and then the velocity, the velocity of the data can just be staggering. I would imagine, especially mm -hmm. in cyber, when you're looking at transactions, payment transactions and network logs and all the stuff that goes around in cyber, it can, be, it can move very fast. Okay, thank you. Uh, and I, like, I wanted, yeah, go ahead. Who's that? This is Prakash. I'd like to add yeah. to what Vincent just said. Yes. Uh, it is absolutely true that, um, you know, companies focus on authentication, uh, implementing two-factor authentication and so on. All that is definitely important, but more important is the big data solutions that companies need to have. So, so example yeah. would be um, many companies have bring-your-own-device policies. So mm -hmm. I'm bringing my laptop on my mobile phone and using it in the corporate networks. And then when I go home, I don't know what I do, where I go. So I could be downloading malware onto my devices and bringing it to a corporate network. So uh, big data solution uh, implies that I would capture every piece of information about all my employees and all my consumers and be able to identify anomalies in their behavior. Uh, so you could ask the question, what, what, what is so special about big data and not the traditional technology? So the traditional methods in the last five years, analytics would use sample data because they couldn't handle all the data. Big mm -hmm. data, with the big data tools, you could technically use all the data that is available to you to d identify patterns of our behavior and detect anomalous behavior. So if I log in in the middle of the night to a corporate network and I've never done it before, then there's an obvious anomaly. In, in the most uh, interesting case, people are looking at device data called accelerometer data, whereby if you hold your mobile phone, that'll actually define the accelerometer data defines uh, is a kind of a biometric for a person um, that uses the phone. So if anybody else uses that device, you could identify that the device is not being used by a legitimate person. I just wanted to add. Really? Yeah. Real? That's amazing. That reminds me of, of some of the M2M we've talked about where at some point we'll be able to have um, settings for exactly how you set your car seat and, and uh, somebody would be able to detect that somebody else is using your automobile, perhaps without your permission, because they've wow. adjusted the, the headrest and the position of the seat and the distance from the pedal. Very interesting. Go ahead, Prakash. I think you had a little more to say, please. No, no, that's, that's exactly, uh, so the, the, not only on the device side, but even looking at emails. So mm -hmm. email hacking and corresponding with financial institutions and requesting wire transfers are becoming very common. Uh, so the usual method is to look at, you know, IP addresses and so on. But the big mm -hmm. data method, because you have to have a lot of different types of data, is to look at the style of the writing as well, to look at punctuations, look at the word choice, look at their diction, look at their sentence structure, and be able to identify if a, kind of a biometric image or, or, or a score for a given person based on emails. So this is also a, a, another area of research where um, we, we're going to see more and more of these passive biometric technology come into play than active biometrics, which is fingerprint, retina scan, and so on. So to mm -hmm. use passive biometrics, you need a lot of data and streaming data. 
And to be able to use that, you can only do it with big data technology. Yeah, and Prakash, this is, if, you know, what's interesting on that point, and you've probably seen this too. Remember, you know, two, three years ago, you, you do this in a, a, a SQL traditional database query, and a query like that could take two, three hours to run. Well, especially I'd imagine in the cyber world, that's just too late. They're broken in by then, mm -hmm. by the time you detect it. And when you can right. see literally queries take place in a matter of seconds versus hours under a, with a big data platform such as like Hadoop or what have you, uh, it's quite staggering. <laughs> and and I w yeah, go ahead. Bonnie, Michael here. I just wanted to point out that the, the big data approach is, is also critically important for another reason, and, and that's that um, I presume we can talk a little bit later about the arms race that we're in, but um, the, the fraudsters are trying to conceal their activities. You know, not only mm -hmm. is there an incredible volume of data, and the transactions themselves, whether we're talking about cyber systems, e-commerce, or, or just internal systems, the, the systems and the transactions that you have to monitor, as Vince described, um, have to be incredibly complex. But there's also the complexity of, of what the fraudster's trying to do. They're trying to conceal their activities. And, and I like to think of it as not just looking for the needle in the haystack, but the fraudster is very purposefully breaking that needle apart into five or 10, 15, 100 pieces and spreading it amongst multiple haystacks. So our, our job in, in trying to monitor the business activity that is happening is even more difficult. And the big data approaches um, that the hardware accelerated database platforms and things like that really aid in our ability to successfully find the, those types of activity. Thank you, Michael. I, I want to go into a slightly different area and talk about something Vincent sent me before the show. A comment was made by Vincent. Corruption schemes can live in multiple areas, and I think our listeners would like to know what you all have identified. Let me read the list Vince sent me, and then, Vince, you can kick this off, and I want everybody to chime in. You say, from commissions, free goods, shipping and customs, distributors, agents and intermediaries, travel agents, vendor payments, travel and entertainment, marketing, petty cash, etc. And the list goes on and on and on. Are we talking in this list, Vincent Walden at EMY, are we just talking about internal sources? Are we talking external or everything combined? Talk to me. Well, everything, what, what's changed with how we think about analytics and monitoring analytics, again, and this is the context and looking at bribes or kickbacks, we don't necessarily focus on a single data source anymore. We focus on the entity. So the entity might be a sales rep employee of the company. And asking new questions about, all right, what is that sales rep touching in terms of their business activity that we can build up a risk model that looks at multiple attributes. So we look at their meals and entertainment expenses, who they're entertaining, mm -hmm. who are the customers that they're selling to and their clients. Mm -hmm who and who they're dealing with. We might look at third-party watch list data to make sure that the customers that they're dealing with or the people that they're entertaining aren't known criminals or suspect or high-risk individuals or politically exposed people, etc. Uh, we're looking at, uh, you know, where they're traveling to. Are they booking, you know, for example, the rental cars? Are they booking out a policy consistently? And these things tend to score when you're looking at these multiple attributes, again, focusing on the entity that incorporates multiple data sources as opposed to just looking at one data source. That is changing the game, how we're monitoring for risks. And again, that just that concept can be applied in multiple fraud risk schemes. 
But um, you know, it's it's a really interesting change because you can ask questions of your data that you've never been able to ask before when you get to combine multiple data sources and build a risk model based on that premise. Thank you, Vincent. Anybody else want to talk to that point? Well, I, I think Vince is exactly right. This is Michael speaking with SAP. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's exactly right, and and you know it becomes even more apparent that we have variety in terms of what we're looking for as as you take what he just described um, and multiply that by a number of different industries um, and, and the various different types of of fraud that may apply specifically to the industry. And I'll just throw out a couple examples here. Um, insurance claims fraud in the insurance industry. When we're dealing with governmental or, or public sector entities, they're worried about tax evasion fraud. Um, the securities industry, as, as already introduced a little bit here today, is, is worried about knowing their customers. Um, pretty much any governmental entity is also worried about entitlement fraud, and then we've already touched on today pretty well the, the notion of credit card fraud. So there's just so many possibilities out there. Thank you, Michael. And, Michael, I want to keep you on, Michael Lortz, for a second. Uh, you mentioned to me that the ACFE, I want you to tell me who that is, tells us that occupational fraud or internal fraud, still talking about sources, perpetrated by employees. Let's talk about your own people in your own house, in your family, if you will, if you consider your company to be your family. Occupational fraud perpetrated by employees is estimated to be 5% of revenue for any organization. That sounds like a small number, but then you ask the question, Michael Lortz, Think about your organization. How much is 5% of your revenue? Let's do a little math here. What does that actually mean in real dollar terms for, let's say, a mom and a pop versus a great big company, uh, a WorldCom or an Enron or even an IBM? Talk to me, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this organization known as the ACFE, I think, is an incredibly reputable organization that that provides us this annual what they call report to the nations. I mean, it really is focused on... The, the internal fraud or what they call occupational fraud that's perpetrated by employees and, and, and other insiders. Um, and as you said, the total of that is estimated to be 5% of re- revenue for any organization. Um, you know, I, I think it would be interesting for all of our listeners here today to just let that soak in. Think about how big their organization is. I work mm-hmm. for SAP. We announced our results very uh, conveniently today. We're, we're a 14 billion euro organization these days. Um, if SAP follows that pattern set out by the ACFE, that means that we're subjected to somewhere around 700 million euros in fraud. Now, I'm, I'm not here by any means to report that that's the case. Uh-huh. Uh, Thank but, goodness. But take, but take your company or your organization's revenue or the amount of money that flows through your organization uh, multiply by that by 5%. And, and remember when you do that, that for the most part, fraud robs directly from your bottom line. There you go. Talking about the bottom line, I want to talk to our friends from Deloitte, Prakash Santana, Mike Kosinog. Any, uh, any research, any numbers you'd like to share with us based on what Michael Lorch just said about the value of fraud to a company? Any thoughts, Prakash, Mike? Um, sure. So on the internal fraud side, there are two, mm-hmm. basically, two different types of internal fraud. One is a rogue employee going out on their own and committing fraud. The other one is collusive activity. It could be internally uh, collusion internally, basically, between the employee and the head of their group or the supervisor. Um, so if you look at ERP systems used today worldwide in various organizations, uh, there's clearly segregation of duties 
policy within the ERP system. However, it's very hard to uh, um, control, apply controls, because if it's a large organization, uh, there's a constant inflow and outflow of employees. The employees uh, get promoted, uh, mm -hmm. their responsibilities change, and therefore it's extremely important to be able to identify uh, what access privileges, what authorizations does an employee have at any given time within an organization. So there's a whole body of research in terms of um, um, role mining or role engineering, as they call it, to be able to define at any given time what is the appropriate uh, policy of uh, uh, authorization um, uh, access policy that the employee has, and is, are there any anomalies in the way they use uh, their access privileges? So I just wanted to add that. Yeah, and this, thank and, you. And, and uh, this is Michael Snog as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, with the role binding, that's a great point, Prakash. There are there mm -hmm. are some uh, real evolving tools in the GRC space that have continued to focus on segregation of duties, sensitive access, and that really focuses in on the internal employee side. For you know, for for the most part, it does look at external as well. Great technology solutions in that space that really address the ongoing monitoring that that's important from a segregation of duties perspective and really the keys keys you know the keys there are really to understand the conflicts that could occur from an organizational perspective that could you know provide the opportunity for fraud for employees right then that's the key element of understanding kind of the uh, the uh, rule set that, that you need to have around what could be a conflict and what could be a you know a potential opportunity for fraud um, and building that in as, as a monitoring tool so you know a lot of evolving solutions in that space I would also probably say there's need for policy making sure you have you know solid policy in place but some other factors that you want to consider too like um, Overall, looking at managing performance and compensation, you want to you want to look at how you incentivize people from a fraud perspective, you know, and or from a fraud opportunity perspective. Also, looking at tone at the top is important, and, and managing tone at the top from, a, you know, from a top-down perspective. Those are kind of more the environmental things you could do, and really, it's that ongoing monitoring, you, you know, using technology to really monitor. Um, you know, from a segregation of duties and, you know, sensitive access perspective so that people don't have those opportunities uh, system-wise to really, uh, you know, be able to perpetrate a fraud. Okay, yeah. so I'm, I wanted to pose a question to everybody, but who is just going to speak? Let's hear from you. I heard somebody. Go ahead. Hi, Bonnie. This is Vince. I wanted to just add mm -hmm. an interesting comment or a site that Mike's mentioned because it reminds me, last week I, I was fortunate enough – I was talking to uh, I was at a summit where Lanny, assistant, former attorney, assistant attorney general Lanny Brewer was speaking, and he mm -hmm. was kind of head of FCPA enforcement up until 2013. And it was really interesting when he said, you know, I, I got to raise my hand and ask him a question directly in front of the audience, and I said, you know, when you were negotiating these settlement agreements with these companies uh, for what the fines for the FCPA violations would be, what was your thought process? What was your criteria? And one of the criteria, everybody picked up their pencils and started writing down his grocery list of the things that he looked at. But one of them that I thought was really interesting, and I think it's relevant to this conversation, is that when he asked the compliance officer or the heads of internal audit when he was in those discussions with him, and he said, how is your compensation built? Is your compensation based only on performance, or is your compensation also a component of how well you are avoiding risk and you know and managing quality within the organization not just on sales revenue that was a key factor and you know mike as you commented about kind of aligning incentives with risk not just sales that's a key component i think for 
that helps drive behavior. Yep. Yep, would, would would totally agree. I mean, there's definitely multiple, uh, you know, controls and activities you need to put in place. But, you know, a couple of those key ones, tone at the top, performance compensation, and then ongoing monitoring, you know, around having that access are key. Definitely Thank agree. you both. Question is, who is it at the top who's in charge of this today? That's first question for the whole panel. Second, My second question is, is it harder to perpetrate internal fraud in a, let's say, lower-end SME company on the small to mid-size enterprise? Is it is it easier to get away with it in a much bigger company where there's so much going on and so many people in so many roles and so many departments that you can kind of – work your way between the cracks in whatever prevention or whatever controls are in place, and you can find a way, find that, that opening in the haystack to put the needle, so to speak. So so those are my two questions. Uh, either one or both, who wants to start? So, Bonnie, this is Prakash. So mm-hmm. both are possible. So we've heard of a case where there was a lawyer's office with three or four lawyers, and there was an account manager who managed all their accounts. And sure enough, the account manager uh, was able to wire money uh, almost on a regular basis out, was able to intercept statements coming back to the lawyer's office, and then over a period of years was able to uh, siphon out a substantial amount of money. Uh, So that's from a small office point of view. From a a bigger corporation point of view, uh, the possibilities for us – determined uh, uh, criminal is uh, limitless, right? (laughs) Yeah. Because of Mm – Okay. But, Anybody but else? At the same time, Go ahead. I think this is Michael with SAP. Mm-hmm. I, I think at the same time that the controls that exist um, and the monitoring capabilities exist are typically more mature in a larger organization. So it, it may be more difficult to, to find, I'll call it a starting place for a fraud scheme in a larger organization. But if the appropriate controls and monitoring aren't in place, um, the, the opportunity may be, as just described, limitless. Yep, and so, Michael, I'd add this is Vince Walden. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Bonnie, when you think about going back, and I think I mentioned this on a previous show, but when you think about fraud theory, where are the pressures, the opportunities, and the rationalizations? And when those yes. three magical things combine, that's when fraud's, you know, at a high risk. And whether it's small or large organizations, people are people. There might be more opportunities to commit fraud in a smaller organization because there might be less oversight and control. You know, pressure will probably stay the same with small or large and maybe even more of large. But then from the risk side, from a dollar value side, with larger companies, the opportunities might be, you know, larger dollar amounts or, or bigger schemes overall. So I think both companies are at risk. Yep. What They're would both. motivate somebody? Vincent, on your theme there, what would motivate somebody who is a straight shooter? They've been honest all their life. They're in a big company, and they, one day they wake up and say, hey, I'm really not getting paid enough. I didn't get my great bonus. I didn't get my – is it that that dissatisfaction, job dissatisfaction, or is that become a reverse incentivization? I hate that word. But a re- reverse incentive to commit fraud because of dis-ease with their, their – track, their career track, and their compensation? What do you think, Vince? Yeah, well, quite often I think they start off with not intending to commit fraud. It's, okay. It, and it typically starts small, and it, ta- you know, and it takes a little bit, and they know it's not, they're just pushing the envelope, and it starts small. And then over time and over time, and I think even, um, like you mentioned, the ACFE report to the nation, they say the average fraud scheme lasts about 18 months before it's detected. Mm. Reason why? Probably because they do it once and it works. They get away with it. They do it twice. Uh-huh. 
it works, they get away with it. Now they can afford that car, or now they can afford, uh, you know, that vacation or, or what have you. And then they get there greedy. There you go. There and they get you go. And greedy, and pretty soon it shows up on the radar. And it's funny. It's rare that you see large fraud schemes involve, you know, unless it's, you know, management tone at the top. But the individual-type fraud schemes, it's usually one – maybe two or three people. It's rare that you get 10 people in cahoots committing fraud. Why? Because if you have 10 people, that means you have to keep 10 people happy. And if one of those people gets upset, they're going to blow the whistle. And I've seen that come crashing down as well. Um, So I I welcome any comments on that as well for other stories from other folks, but that's what I see. Uh, Yeah. Go ahead. I agree with Vince, but but for one point of view, which is – Employees who are initially well well intentioned and then subsequently commit fraud is one part of the story. But there are criminal organizations targeting companies and bringing in employees. In other words, they 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 infiltrate Ah, the organization. So there are many ways for them to commit fraud. As simple as leaving a USB on somebody's desk or someplace where they know that people would be walking by with malware. I mean, this is becoming common. In fact, one of the, one of the biggest uh, uh, threats faced by the DOD very recently was this USB in a parking lot. Oh so, and, and we don't know if it, is, uh, if it is a fraudster driving by the parking lot or is it a, an employee, a collusive employee who dropped it on purpose. So they'll, and, of course, call center organizations around the world, uh, they are having um, – to face criminal uh, organized crime infiltrating and employing uh, their folks within the call center organization. So there's a lot of that activity going on as well. And that brings into question who in HR is minding the store and is there a way for personality profiles to help detect when somebody's been brought in by a a recommending firm or been brought in and they come from a, a collection of people who are fraudulent where they're saying, oh, let's infiltrate this company. Is there any way to detect that? I don't know if there is. We are going to take a break in two minutes, but I want to go around the round table before we go to break. When we come back, of course, it'll be the, well, it'll be the crystal ball segment at the end. And I'm going to ask all of you if we had this conversation five years from today, what would we be saying about fakes, frauds, and scams? Are the, the bad guys getting smarter or the good guys getting smarter? But my question to all of you, and let's just go in the original order, Prakash, Mike, Vincent, and Michael, is who is the, the honcho? Who is in charge of fixing this, of making it better in any size company? What would you name? Are they in the C-suite? What is the, the typical name of the person in charge of Combating fraud, preventing fraud, detecting fraud, fixing it, making everything better. Who is that person we would be looking toward? Prakash? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting you asked this question, Bonnie. Uh, we recently did a survey of 2,400 execs from various organizations, mm. and we found that 47% of them said that their organization believed that fraud is a high priority. Fraud management, fraud control is a very high priority for them. But only 8% of them said that they have a dedicated enterprise fraud management group within the organization. Over 20% said that their their fraud resides within their IT organization. So here's the problem. Most organizations don't know who should handle fraud. Uh, Ideally, it would be a dedicated fraud group trained to detect fraud, have the right tools, and have the right escalation procedures, and so on, and, and, and liaisons with law enforcement. But IT organizations have, are already overburdened. They can't handle fraud. 
uh, even if they are doing currently today. So that's a big problem in the industry. I thought it was going to be a simple one-word answer. It's like the so and so in the C-suite. That's what it says. Mike Cosano, quickly, who do you do you agree with, Prakash? Same thing. I mean, from 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 our perspective, especially when we see in the cybersecurity space around this, it's the board of the CEO that has has to clearly establish tone at the top, and establish senior manager accountability to uh, you know to to really monitoring this activity. <clears throat> but then you've got different roles. You've got senior management on the business side. I think business needs to be engaged in this as a active pro you know proactive monitoring approach and then you need IT leadership to help enable so you're talking CIO and then you're talking you know fraud risk type organizations and also break you know bringing it down to the line of business i mean all of them play a role in it but it's got to start at the top of making this a priority and a focus Thank you. Vincent Walden, what do you see? And you know what? It looks like we're going to have to skip our break and go right into the crystal ball because we're, we're running so close to the end, and I love it. Great conversation. Vincent Walden, who's okay. in charge, who should be in charge? What do you well, see from Ian Wise's perspective? My results are a little different from Prakash, and I just want to ask him a question on the survey that he took. Was it mainly cyber fraud or just fraud in general? Because it was interesting that it was focused on IT uh, as yeah. the ones responsible for fraud in general. Was it more of a cyber question? Uh, uh, no, Vincent. It was it was general fraud, including internal fraud. So it was okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Good. Yeah. And uh, the the survey we've done a similar survey, just specifically who owns who has overall responsibility for fraud um, in the programs and the monitoring, and we got a little different, interesting results. But um, globally, it was around. It was very much tied between compliance and legal versus business management. And then a close third was uh, internal audit personnel having you know, responsibility for fraud. But, but ultimately, I think the question is senior management or the, the, the board and the C-level ultimately has responsibility for the tone at the top, while various organizations will delegate uh, who's has the, in charge of the program. It's really senior management's responsibility. And I wonder if we have special T-shirts for that senior management person where they walk around and it says, don't even think about it. Yeah, responsible for all fraud. <laughs> don't even think about it. I am here. Michael Lawrence, you know what? We are skipping the break. We've got eight minutes till the end. Yes, exactly eight minutes. But, Michael Lawrence, I want you to chime in on who's responsible, and then I'm going to go back in the same order, and we're going to do the what would we be talking about in five years. Michael Lawrence, go. Yeah, I would largely agree with the rest of the panelists. I think what I've seen is that if there are companies that, that have a mission to, let's say, disperse payments, and I'll use the example of an insurance company, they oftentimes have an investigations department that is focused, uh, I don't want to say entirely, but largely on insurance claims fraud. I just use that as an example. So so if, if you're subjected to fraud in, in the, the main portion of your business, another great example is credit card fraud. I think there's, there's oftentimes obvious ownership. It, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's the more pervasive uh, occupational fraud um, or those companies that don't necessarily uh, are, aren't subjected to just one type of fraud where there isn't clear ownership, you know, where there's, where there's fraud in your accounts payable department, where there's fraud in uh, travel, fleet, and P-card um, expenses. You know, it's spread out all over the company. There, there isn't necessarily an obvious person to turn to to own that. Okay, thank you. And you know what? We've now got six minutes till the end. I need to be selfish and reserve a minute and a half for me to close the show. I'm going to give you each one minute on the clock. Okay, Prakash Santana, Deloitte, look ahead five years. Let's 
say we're going to meet again, we're going to have the same topic, fakes, fraud, scams, who's winning the battle, will we still be having this conversation? What will be different? One minute. Prakash, go. We will always be talking about fraud, uh, no matter when we come back and talk, whether it's now or a century later, because it's only (laughs) going to be the methods and the means are going to change as new payment schemes or new schemes come about. uh, Fraudsters will be innovative. They can attract the best minds because they can afford to pay them a lot of money. And usually, fraudsters don't have to have a business case. Companies have to have a business case. So that and, and fraudsters focus on the weakest link. So we will always be talking about fraud, and we will continue to do so forever. Thank you. And I just have a quick anecdote here. Somebody mentioned the three-person law firm where there was fraud going on here on Long Island several years ago, a bookkeeper who worked with her mom at a yacht club were making sure the checks went into their personal account for years. Because it was a volunteer situation, they were paid, but because it was a yacht club and a lot of wealthy people were were members of the yacht club, they just assumed these loyal employees were doing the right thing. By the time they discovered it, it was, I don't know, about $100,000 worth of fraud taking the money, and of course they were caught, but it took years. So there's another wide opening when you go into an organization where people are doing it in their spare time meaning the oversight. Mike Kosanog, enough from me. Mike, Detroit-based partner in Deloitte's Audit and Enterprise Risk Services. One minute. How are we going to be talking about this in five years? Go. Oh, so from you know, from my perspective, and I think what we're seeing there out in industry is really the fraud incidents will continue to grow and they will continue to be mm-hmm. larger. There will be more material over time. And with that will come enormous increase. You know, in the revenue losses, you know, from a from the potential of fraud incidents, the demand for fraud detection and prevention solutions will also increase. I think that's the big thing. In five years, you'll see a lot more around the focus on fraud detection, prevention solutions, getting into more predictive analytics, big big data mining. Mm-hmm. Those will be the trends in the future. In fact, uh, MarketsMarkets.com uh, had a cert- had a study that the fraud detection and prevention market will be worth 7.5 billion by 2018. So five years from now, you know the continued focus will be on fraud detection and prevention. And you know Thank the, the, you. the fraud will still be there, but the, the focus will continue will be on the data mining, the analytics, etc. Thank you, Mike Vincent Walden, Ernst and Young, Fraud Investigative and Dispute Services. Talk to me. One minute. Go. Yeah, the uh, the future. Uh, looking at the future, the term big data will no longer be around because it's just going to be the norm. So people won't be saying big data anymore. What's interesting, also, I totally agree with the other panelists that fraud will still be there. But I believe the gap from a technology and monitoring perspective will close up a little bit. And what I mean by that is, right now we're still seeing a lot of traditional rules-based type tests being used and deployed for. Uh, fraud monitoring and detection. The things that people do in databases and spreadsheets are still quite often used among corporations, and they will be adopting these big data technologies over the years because they have to. The regulators are going to demand it, and just the business needs and the speed of business is going to demand it. So I think we're going to see greater adoption of more enhanced monitoring uh, and compliance tools. Thank you, Vincent. Michael Loris, last but not least, you lead SAP's Global Governance Risk and Compliance, GRC Product Marketing Team. Predictions, go. One minute. 
So it's here to stay. I think that uh, you can go ahead and schedule an episode for your your series, your radio show, for probably once a quarter. We'll continue the conversation. I think that okay. it, it, it probably will escalate. I agree with Vince that the defenses that we put up as enterprises will mature. But this is really somewhat like an arms race. As long as there's money to steal or ways to avoid pain, uh, the sinister minds in the world will be conceiving innovative fraud schemes, and they're not going to retire the ones that they're using today. They'll continue to use that, and all of us as individuals and companies have to be vigilant. Thank you very much. Appreciate your staying on time. I've got two minutes to close. I don't have to speed talk. Woohoo! Tomorrow, Coffee Break with Game Changers, our flagship series, Wednesday, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 Eastern. Guess what? It's part three of my 2014 prediction special. December 18th was part one. January 8th was part two. Tomorrow's part three. I'm going to feature, let's see, we've got two, four, six, eight. We've got 14 experts speed talking through their predictions. I've already brought you opinions and insights on 2014 business predictions from 30, so we're adding 14 more tomorrow. On Thursday, Startup Focus with Game Changers. Thursday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. We're going to do a live show on startups and government. Ooh, takes two to tango. Could have used another subtitle for that. Next Tuesday, right here on BizBuzz with Game Changers, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern. We're going to be live with Technological Innovations of HCM, Human Capital Management. Special thanks to my very wonderful guest today, you all played so well in the sandbox, and I appreciated Prakash Santana, Mike Kosinog, Vincent Walden, Michael Lortz. Thank you all. To all of you, hope you're safe and warm and dry wherever you are. Shout-outs, of course, to Susan Walker, sponsor of this series at SAP, Tom Flanagan, our, our calendar manager, our guest engagement manager, and tweeter extraordinaire. Thank you, Tom. Brad and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio, here's Bonnie's call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. It's been a pleasure bringing you a great panel on fakes, frauds, and scams here on Biz Buzz with Game Changers. Talk to you tomorrow on Coffee Break. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Biz Buzz with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.